You can go to Ephesians chapter 6. You can also find the minor prophet Joel because we're going to look at a couple of passages from him this morning as well. But I want to read Ephesians chapter 6 first kind of to be our base uh, for these next few weeks that we're going to be together in this series that we're going to be doing called Champion. Uh, It's Ephesians chapter 6. This is, we've referenced passages from Ephesians over these last few weeks uh, in our series uh, called To Be Continued, where we were looking at the Holy Spirit. Last week was Pentecost Sunday. If you missed those, I encourage you to go back and you can watch or listen to them online or any of the uh, platforms that we're on. But I want to go into one more passage from Ephesians and Paul refers to this as his final word in this letter to the church of Ephesus. So let's, let's look at what his final word is to us uh, today. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 is where we'll start. It says this, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's, God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against what? The strategies of the devil, our spiritual enemy. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood. It disturbs me today when I hear people take scripture and use it as a war cry for battle against people who may be struggling in sin, who may have different opinions than us, different thoughts. Our battle, Paul says, is not against flesh and blood. We war differently. So keep that in mind as we go into this series. But we are against evil rulers and authorities of an unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then there's that verse that we referenced last week. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. This is what I want our base to be. We'll come back to it a couple of times throughout this series. But this is what we are. This is the mindset I want us to have as we go into this series of the warfare that we have, the war that we are battling, a spiritual war that we are up against. Now, I I would not consider myself a fighter in the physical sense. Uh, When I was growing up, I was scrawny. I graduated high school at buck 15, all right? I was a little guy. I was smart, though. Because I knew my strategy was always make friends with the bigger people. Because when my mouth got me in trouble, I had big friends, right? I am competitive though. Very competitive. I like to win. Doesn't matter what it is. A game, any kind, sports, a debate, 
<laughs> I like to win. I like to be, I don't want just the participation trophy. I want the trophy, right? It's what it is. Sometimes though, I do let my competitiveness get the best of me. I remember whether it was one night early in our marriage, Jenny and I had invited uh, some friends of ours over another couple. We were playing a card game called spades. Some of you may know this game. And we played the game and we did not win. And I felt like my partner, who was my wife, uh, did not play her hands to the best of their ability that I thought they should be played. So I wasn't happy. I got up, stormed out of the room. You remember this? And as I did, went into the dining room kitchen area, my feet flew out from under me in a way that they have never flown out from under me. I got up out of that living room, carrying my Pepsi Cola, walked into that dining room. My feet went up in the air and my hind corners, hind quarters landed, bam, slap down on the floor. I truly believe the Holy Spirit was giving me a humbling moment in that time. In the, in the time that we lived there, since when Jenny and I got married, she moved in from that time before to the time after we were living in that house, that never happened to me. It was a very humbling. My only win that night was I did not spill my Coke when my rear end hit the ground as hard as it did. That was my only win for the night. (laughs) There are things in this life worth fighting over. And there are things in this life not worth fighting over. As we go into this series, I want to want us to look at what we need to be fighting over, what we are warring against, and the fact that God has called us to be a champion, and he's given us something to champion. Now, next weekend is Father's Day. We hope that you will join us, men, fathers, spiritual fathers, invite some other people that you know, families, men, you know, invite them to come be here with us next weekend. We'll have some cold dad sodas on ice for you. We want you to have, we want you to enjoy yourself. But with the fact in mind that next weekend is father's day, this series is, I am speaking kind of towards men. Now, ladies, I don't want you to think that there's not anything here for you in this. And I want to encourage women. You are a champion as well. My wife is one of the strongest and most competitive women I know also. But beyond just that, her, many other women in this house, many other godly women I know, when there is something worth, worth being the key word, fighting for, they rise up and they fight spiritually. They are champions. I remember when I was a youth pastor, this was years ago, I I called, WMHK was still around. This was before WMHK had to turn over to Caleb. But I remember emailing them one time as a youth pastor. Probably was not the first one to do this. But I told them, you know, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate what you do. Uh, but I have a lot of young people that your station is not the most favorite station to listen to. Because they'd rather listen to different kinds of music. And there's a lot of music in the Christian world with a, with a positive message, which is what your purpose is. That in genres that these that young people would love, and so they responded to my email. And as understanding organizational leadership, the more that I do now, I, I appreciate their response. I appreciate their purpose and their you know what their thought was behind everything. 
But what they said was this. They said, you know, we realize that, we understand that, but this is our, our, we have one primary target. And our primary target is this. Our primary target is moms. Because we believe if we can get the mom, then we get the family. Okay, understand that target. I appreciate that target. Men, that should offend you. Now, ladies, don't let me offend you by saying that. Stay with me because I got you back here in just a couple of moments. All right, I promise. But men, that should offend you. That they feel like they can't target you to influence your family. I want to remind you of a focus on the family statistic I shared back in November in our My Hope is In series when I was talking about fathers. Focus on the family did this study said if, if the young person, the child, is the first to come to know Christ, then about 3.5% of the time the family follows suit. If mom is the first to come, night, come to know Christ, about 17% of the time the family follows suit. If dad is the first to come to know Christ, 93% of the time the family follows suit. So ladies, you will be encouraged through this, and there will be something to edify you and build you up. But gentlemen, I believe God has created you to be a champion, a spiritual champion. And he has given you a mission to champion in this life. And we have got to understand our role as men, as godly men in this life. I asked my oldest son the other day, I said, bud, what's something that you have learned from me about being a man. And he said to me, women are difficult and you have to be patient with them. (laughs) So we got work to do on myself, apparently. So I'm going to get all up in my face and our face. All right. But I want us to know, guys, I'm not talking about a toxic masculinity with this notion that you have to have this certain physical strength in life, where you have to be emotionally callous, where you show no emotion whatsoever in your life, where you are by nature aggressive towards everything, where you are just fine doing life on your own and you need nobody. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about where you have to have some kind of power or status to gain respect. That type of thought, that type of life is unhealthy. And it leads to an unhealthy lifestyle. I'm also not talking about the domineering man bringing the woman into submission. I'm not talking about that. You know, we read Ephesians chapter five and we read where Paul's words to the family unit. We like, we like that verse. And, and this verse causes a lot of controversy in a lot of places. Wives submit to your husbands as the head of the family. We forget that just before that verse is a statement that says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes into defining what submission looks like for the wife, for the husband, for the children. But wives, submit to your husband as the head. What does that, what does that look like? I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I feel like I need to set, I need to point this, point some things out and just to hit on this. That word head, 
It's translated in scripture in another way as cornerstone, meaning it is the foundational corner strength of the home that holds up, that supports, that everything is built around. It does mean a headship, a leadership. It is also literally just means the head. But thinking about that, let's think what involves the head, especially in regards to leadership. Besides just the cognitive abilities in our mind, our head holds sight, sound, and communication. That means you need to be paying attention to what's around you. That means we need to be listening. And that means we need to be communicating what needs to be communicated so that the rest of the body can function in a way that benefits the whole. There needs to be clear vision and we need to be hearing from God. And we need to understand that within the body houses everything else. Every other central system that we need, the heart and soul, the hands and feet, nothing gets done without the body. And we also forget how Jesus defined leadership. Jesus told his disciples and those that followed, he said, when we understand leading others, we do not lead like those in the world lead that lord their authority over others. We serve. We do not come to be served, but to serve. I also want to point out another verse that Paul wrote to Timothy, just real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14. This is a writing, in his writing, he's writing to young widows. And he says this, he says, so I counsel younger widows to marry. Now the writing starts generally to young widows, but understand now they're married women. So look at the instruction to married women, to have children, to manage their homes and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Now that word manage, I want us to understand that word. That word is a Greek word that I am in no way going to try to pronounce because I will butcher it. It's the only time the verb usage of that word is used in the New Testament. There's about six, seven, eight other times in the Gospels and the New Testament where the noun form of that word is used. And every time it's used, it is translated as this, master of the home or landowner. There is an authority that is given with that terminology. So in terms of this word and this, there is a leadership position that revolves around what he is saying to the woman. And it's a leadership that's to be respected and honored as such. So given the way that it's used all throughout the rest of the gospels in the new Testament, I don't think it's proper just to translate that verse as woman, keep your house. You have a role of authority within your home. And we, as men, need to understand that as the head and understand they have that authority and that leadership. And we are a team together. This word is one of leadership. So now understanding this, we need to understand there is no place in a home and between men and women for a woman beaten down into submission, whether it be physically or emotionally. There is no place for that. There is also no place for a man with no backbone 
no vision, no direction, no ability to communicate. A man who seeks to look out only for himself and do only what he wants to do. There's no place for that as a man. Men, you are created to be a champion. And you have been given a mission to champion. If you look at the examples of the men who followed God all throughout scripture. Do you find perfect men? No, not at all. But you find men who are willing to admit when they were wrong. Who are willing to seek forgiveness. Who knew their wives on a deep, intimate level and appreciated them for who they were. Who cried out to God regularly. Who believed what God said. Men who treasured his words. Who trusted his direction and his words. Men who followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. Men who were empowered by the Spirit. Men who empowered others around them. You found men who walked in wisdom who were faithful until the end. Men who worked diligently. You found men who served. If you follow just the example of Christ, who is our ultimate example, you follow one who was compassionate, one who was loving, one who was giving, one who was serving, one who was sacrificial, He was one who knew when there was a need to champion others. And he knew the mission he was called to champion. He fought and won the greatest battle there was when he defeated death, hell, sin, and the grave. I want us to see how John describes Jesus. One of the most epic passages of Jesus's lordship. It's in Revelation. Revelation chapter 19. Look at what he says. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of lords. This is the champion we follow. We know our victory is already won. We wait on him to finalize it. But until then we take our ground in that war spiritually and we stand and we fight. Men, you have been created to be a spiritual champion and God has given you a mission to champion in this life. In Paul's last statement, in his, as he was rap, wrapping up his first letter to the church of Corinth, he's giving his thank yous to people. He's mentioning people by name. And then he throws in this little statement. 
Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. All that you do must be done in love. Be courageous is what he's saying. So men, God has given you someone and something to champion in this life. God has given you someone to love. He's given you someone. You may not be married right now. It doesn't necessarily have to be in that regard. But somewhere, if you look hard enough, God's given you someone to love. God's given you someone to encourage. God's given you someone to build up. God's given you someone to stand beside. God's given you someone to guard. But he's also given you a gospel to advance. He's given you a calling for you to accept. A ministry to fulfill. You're to be salt and light. You're his ambassador in this world that represents his love. If you are married and you have a family, start there. And our mantra should be the same mantra of Joshua that we see him proclaim to the nation of Israel. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 4. 15, he says, if you refuse to serve the Lord, I love this, then choose. In other words, act like a man and make a choice. Don't confuse everybody around you, culturally adding this and adding this and taking this and appeasing to this. Choose who you're going to serve. Would you prefer the God your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Will it be the gods of the Amorites? Don't just live as if everything is okay. Don't give confusing examples. Make a choice. But Joshua said this, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. To the best of my ability, as a man in this home, I'm going to lead with an example that says, I am going to follow God. The one who rescued us, the one who redeemed us, the one who freed us. We understand it now. The one who bought me with the price of his blood. I am going to follow this king, this Jesus. Who lives again. Make a choice. What are you going to do? Start with your family and then extend it. If you don't have a family, then start with the people around you and your church family. There's someone there that you can champion. There's a mission there that you can, you can champion. Extend it into every other connection God has given you in this life. Champion the people that God has placed in your life and champion the mission that God has given you. Tell your wife who she is in Christ. Tell your kids who they are in Christ. And by all means, be alert of every influence that is surrounding their life. And let the voice of God in love be the loudest voice they hear every day of their life. And ladies, call this out in your man. Don't compare them to other men. 
Don't wish they were someone else. Call it out in them. Call out who they are in Christ. Call out the champion that God is calling them to be. But you may be the godly example of a man that someone in your work needs to see. That a teenager or a child in this church needs to see. That someone in your neighborhood needs to see. That someone on the ball team your child is a part of or whatever extracurricular activity it might be needs to see. But always remember that what Paul said, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against principalities and powers of a dark world around us. But you're, you're a champion and you have the spirit of a champion because you have the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living in you. As we close out, I want us to see these words from the prophet Joel. It's a spiritual war, remember. Now Joel is reminding the nation of Israel of what's happening to their nation. And look at the call that he gives in Joel chapter 3. Verse nine, he says, say to the nations far and wide, get ready for war. Call out your best warriors. Let all your fighting men advance for the attack. Hammer your plowshares into swords, your pruning hooks into spears. Train even your weaklings to be warriors. Come quickly, all you nations everywhere, gather together in the valley. And now, O Lord, call out your warriors. Let the nations be called to arms. Let them march to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I, the Lord, will sit to pronounce judgment on them all. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Remember that phrase, for the harvest is ripe. Come tread the grapes, for the winepress is full. The storage vats are overflowing with the wickedness of these people. Joel is pointing out in his prophecy everything they're facing. And what they're facing comes from the sin that is in their life and that they have allowed. But he's reminding them that you are champions. God has created you to be a champion and he's calling them to come forward. And he's asking God to raise up more of them to understand who they are in him. And he's described what they're up against. And at the very beginning of his prophecy, he uses this picture of what's taken place. And it's through what locusts had done through a plague on their land. Now, we have a great description that gives us an understanding of what locusts do that comes from a description of what happened in a plague that took place in Palestine in 1915. One of the more recent ones that we have a great description of what took place. And the description goes like this, that it was early March of that year when these swarms of locusts flew in. And the swarms were so thick and so heavy that they covered the sun and they cast a dark shadow over the land. And as they came in, they went to the ground, miles and miles of soil, and they dug into the ground. When they looked at the holes, they estimated the holes to be about four inches deep and about a half an inch wide. But in those holes, they filled them with eggs and it covered miles and miles. And after a while, those eggs hatched and these locusts were born and they represented these little tiny little ants. They looked like little ants. 
And all they could really do was hop around on the ground, what looked like fleas, hopping around on the ground. But as they were hopping, they were devouring every bit of livestock they could come in contact with. As time grew on, these little, just a few weeks, these little things got a little bit bigger. They were able to jump a little bit higher. So now they're jumping higher, reaching higher points, devouring everything around it. Then they grew wings and they began to fly. And now they're getting everything that they could get when they could hop, devouring every bit of vegetation, of land, chewing the bark off the trees down to the stubs, leaving nothing but a wasteland. People describe the sound of their wings swarming as simply just being terrifying. And when they ate everything on ground, then they began to go into the homes and devour the food that were in the homes, the fabric that was around, the clothes, and any wood that was present in the home. They destroyed everything. And what Joel was describing and what Joel was pointing out through this prophecy and reminding them of what the locusts had did in the land, he reminds them this is the picture of what sin does in our life when we allow it. It is devouring everything around us. And if we don't call out the champion within us, to combat it and to come against it, it's just going to continue to wage its war. And so what does Joel tell them to do? He tells them in chapter two, this is where you start. Verse 12. This is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is still time. Give me your hearts Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. In other words, have a little bit of desperation about you. Don't be so nonchalant. Get desperate for what we're up against. Don't just tear your clothing in your grief. Because in that time, people would tear their clothes as a sign of their... Well, he's saying don't just tear your clothing. It needs to go deeper than that. Tear your hearts instead. You need to be heartbroken. You need to be torn up inside over what sin is doing to the people you love around you. Return to the Lord your God, for he's merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfaithful love. He is eager to relent and not to punish. In other words, I need you to get to a place where you are truly broken over the destruction around you that sin is causing. Because you're created to be a champion spiritually and God has given you a mission to champion. He's given you someone to champion. He's given you a a calling to champion. And you have got to long for God and his Holy Spirit in your life And long for his power to be at work in your life more than anything else. 
We have got to get a place where we are not okay with God not being the central focus of our family's life, of our kid's life, of our community's life. We have got to get to a place where we are not okay with the sin that is so prevalent around us. Where we want God to do something desperately in our homes, in our church, and in our community. Being a champion starts with hunger for more of his presence and his power at work in our life. That's where it starts. But we've got to get hungry. Joel was calling it out in them. He was telling them, you're a champion. You have a mission to champion. And it's time to get hungry for God's power and God's presence. And it's time to be that champion. It's time to take everything you have. He tells them, take the plowshare, take this, the, 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 the hooks, whatever. And he's saying, call out everything you've got, everything God's given you, take it and use it in however you can for the mission of God. And then he told them, the harvest is ripe. And Jesus echoed the words of Joel 3 in Matthew chapter 9. Verses 35 to 38, when he told his listeners this, he said, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And look at, look at what happens. And when he saw the crowds, when he saw people battling, not just sickness, not just poverty, but when he saw the people battling who battle sin every day, the adulterers, the cheaters, the abusers, the lost. When he saw every single one of them, what did he do? Because they were confused and helpless. He had compassion on them. And then he turned and he looked at his followers. And he said to them, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers in the field. In other words, just like Joel said, God, call out the warriors. Call out the champions. Where are you? Men, where are you? Men of God. Where are you? Are you hungry to see God do something and work in a way in the people you love in their life? Are you desperate enough to come against the sin that is devouring our loved ones and our community and our nation and our world? become desperate to pray and to fast and to seek God for him to move in people's lives. The very first text, we referenced it last week when we looked at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, the very first text that Peter referenced on that day when he began to preach his sermon was a text from Joel. When he quoted the prophet Joel and said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
In other words, the message was, I want to give you my presence. I want to give you my power. You just need to ask. You just need to seek. You need to be desperate for it. And if you, God is calling you to be a worker, to get into it. The harvest is right there for you, but you've got to get desperate for it. A worker, a champion, isn't afraid to get into the mess a little bit. Isn't afraid to get his hands dirty. Isn't afraid to put in a little bit of work. The absence of God's presence and power in our life has nothing to do with his unwillingness to give it to us. The absence of his power and his presence in our life has everything to do with our apathy and our sin that we allow. How badly do we want the presence of God and his power in our home? in our church and in our community. The answer to how badly we want that is revealed in how seriously we take sin and how hungry we get in pursuing Him. God, call out your champions. Call out the ones you have called to champion others and to champion been created to be a spiritual champion and you've got a mission to champion are you up for it choose make a choice today who will you serve what are you desperate for stand with me this morning heavenly father god i pray today that we receive this challenge from your word Raise us up, God, to be hungry for you, for your power, and for your presence. God, call out the champion on the inside of us that you have created us to be. And let us stand firm in the power and the presence of God in our life. And let us understand what we are up against. And let us become desperate and hungry to see the work of God to move in our family, in our homes, in our church, in our community. God, we will not tolerate sin in our life around us anymore, God. It's just something to be accepted. We want to be a people that that balance loving others, but standing firm in our faith. And help us, God, to do that today. In Jesus' name. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.